Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome listeners to your Monday Night Remastered episodes. And before I begin, I wanted to thank all of you lovelies that reached out to me to ask how I was doing due to my absence of an upload last Friday. To my Patreons who already knew as well, thank all of you for checking up on me and making sure I was all good. I drank my weight in Lemsip, which is specifically for colds and headaches etc, and proceeded to sleep for the entire weekend. You know those colds where everything is slow-mo and your brain is functioning but your body wants to sleep? Yeah, I had that for three days. I was super lethargic and basically conked out. But I'm better now and I'll bring you the episode that was due last Friday, this Friday instead. Today though, you get something different in the old time radio series. I bring you episodes from The Clock, old time radio show. And mates, I love this one. Seriously, the acting has you feeling what they're feeling, and it's surprisingly emotional compared to the other OTRs that I've remastered. For example, the Black Museum has dry, calculated murders, suspense has crazy monsters and creatures from dark depths, and the creaking door has a mixture of both, with a tale from the crypt vibe. The Clock series captures a Twilight Zone-esque vibe, but not overwhelmingly, like a tiny touch of it, mixed in with a little cheekiness from the creaking door. The first episode is The Actor, which I really, really loved. Both the actor and actress in this episode stole my heart, and for the first time in a long time have been listening to it five times, three for enjoyment and two for editing, perfecting it whilst also enjoying it. I hope you see what I mean. It's such an interesting story, simple but on point. And the second tale, The Man Who Had All The Money In The World, really hit home. Sure it has a slightly predictable story arc, but the twist did pull me in. One thing I've noticed about the Clock series is, just from these two episodes, the sense of urgency, a rush, a feeling that something is on the line here, and it doesn't hold its punches either. So sit back, join me for a cup of Old Grey, which I'm drinking right now, and let's listen to this old time radio show together. Sunrise and sunset, promise and fulfillment, birth and death. The whole drama of life is written in the sands of time. We present a new series of radio programs, The Clock. Am I disturbing you? I hope not. I don't mean to intrude. I just dropped in for half an hour with a story. It's not an ordinary story, and yet it might easily happen to someone you know. Someone you may have heard of. In any case, I'm pretty certain you'll be glad you listened. But perhaps I'd better introduce myself again, although we have met before. You don't remember? Oh, <laughs> come now. We're old friends. You must have seen my face on your wrist, in your pocket, or on that steeple over there where I suppose I have more dignity but much less fun. Yes, we've met before, and we'll meet again, I'm sure of that. You see, I get around. Sooner or later, I run into everyone. Sooner or later, everyone runs into me. But I was telling you about my story, which has to do with Jeannie Clare. 
Jeannie's a pretty girl of 23 and rather nice. She had a birthday just a month ago, and it was a very happy affair. Some of the girls who worked with Jeannie at Kane's department store threw the party, and they all had a wonderful time, but that was a month ago. And things are different now. Precinct police stations are not exactly pleasant places, especially for girls like Jeannie Clare. The desk sergeant's always impersonal and efficient, but sometimes even efficiency can be a frightening thing. How long will it take, Sergeant? Well, about 20 minutes. As long as it takes him to get down and back. 20 minutes? Mm, 20 minutes. In the meantime, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Now, Jeannie Clare, 1148, 7. Is that right? That's right. Now, what's your age? 23. Blue eyes, brown hair. Hi. Five feet two. What? 110 pounds without my shoes. Mm-hmm, 110. Married? No. No, I'm not married. Mm. Yeah, well, where, where do you work? At Kane's department store. I sell gloves, men's gloves. That's where it started, Kane. Yes, that's where it started, at Kane's. It had been a long, long afternoon behind the counter, and the girls were glad to hear the closing bell. Oh, saved by the bell. I was just ready to pass out with exhaustion. Oh, my feet are killing me, Jeannie. You make out your sales tally, Ethel? You think I got eight hands like an octopus? Well, I'm just starting now, and I better hurry. I got a date with Harry. Oh? Well, you, you want to come along? With you and Harry? Yeah, he could get another guy. Oh, thanks, Apple, but not tonight. Say, what goes with you? Don't you ever want to have any fun? I like my fun, same as anyone else. Only, well, not tonight, Ethel. Not tonight, not tomorrow night, not next month. Are you waiting for the perfect man? Maybe. Oh, there ain't no such animal. Oh, but you can't be too particular, Jeannie, unless you want to sell gloves for old man Martin for the rest of your life. You take Harry, for instance. He's no Van Johnson, but he's very foreign. Harry's nice, but he's not my type. Now, who is your type, that Johnson dream? I'm not interested so much in looks. I want to marry a man, Ethel, a human being. Not a Colorado. Oh, what do you think Harry is, a horse? <laughs> you don't know what I mean. You see, Ethel, I never had much education. So my man's got to be smart. He's got to have manners, too. Smart manners. Like they have in France. He won't look silly, for instance, when he kisses my hand. <laughs> what else? He'll dress in taste. Not like a clothes horse, but like a gentleman. He'll be interested in good books and classical music. He'll take me to the art galleries and explain what the pictures mean. And when he talks, his voice will be soft and gentle and clever, like a man of the world. I beg your pardon? Uh, what? Uh, may I see those gloves, please? They're on the first shelf. I'm sorry, mister. The store's closed. Oh, that's too bad. It's, it's all right, Ethel. I'll open up my book again and, and take care of the gentleman. No, it's your time. <laughs> that's awfully kind of you. I, I hope I'm not putting you to too much trouble. No. No trouble at all. Is something wrong? Uh, wrong? The way you stare at me. My tie? Oh, excuse me. I I was just thinking of something. <laughs> Are these the gloves you mean? Uh, yes, please. Seven ninety-eight plus tax. Right, extremely smart. Yeah. They're good looking, all right. What is your size? Eight and a half. These are the fit? May I try them on? Oh, sure. And... Take your time. I'm in no hurry. 
I'm in no hurry at all. Jeannie could hardly believe it. There he was, the man she'd always dreamed about, standing right in front of her. He wasn't handsome, but he was tall, and his clothes were neat. Jeannie always used to think a derby hat was rather silly on a man, but on this one, it was different. Everything seemed so different about him. And his voice. Well, when Jeannie heard his voice, the picture was complete. And what a wonderful picture it was. But then Jeannie remembered that he'd buy his gloves, he'd pay for them, and she'd never see him again. She tried to think of something to say to keep him there. But he only smiled politely, made his purchase, and walked away. And Jeannie thought she was watching him walk right out of her life. dress was in the 40s, a small hotel. Not an elegant place, Jeannie thought, but dignified. She waited in the lobby while the desk clerk called his room. It only took him two minutes to come down, but sometimes two short minutes can seem like two long years. Good evening. You, you remember me? <laughs> of course. You are the charming young lady who waited on me in the store. You're kind of absent-minded, aren't you? I am. You left this wallet on the counter. Oh, oh! thank you. Thank you so much. I, I thought I'd lost it. You know, that's happened to me once before. I really should be more careful. You really should. There wasn't much money in it, but uh, there were the pictures. Of my family, you see. I would have hated to lose those snapshots. Well, you've got them back now. So I guess I'll go... Uh, no, just, just a minute, please. You, you've gone to a great deal of trouble to return this to me. Oh, that's all right. When one returns a wallet, there's usually a reward. Well, in this case, we might reverse the procedure. I don't get it. I'd read the reward myself if you had dinner with me. Or have you made a previous appointment? Oh, no, I... I haven't got anything much to do. Then you'll accept? Oh, Sure. I mean, how sure? He took Jeannie to a little Italian place on 46. But Jeannie could hardly think of food. She just kept listening to his voice and watching him smile as he told her all about himself and about his work. He wanted to be an actor, oh, ever since he could remember. And he was looking for a break. He didn't want to be a movie star and make a lot of money. Shakespeare and Ibsen were more his style. He said right now he wasn't working. He was at liberty and available for the right part. Jeannie crossed her fingers and hoped that he was at liberty and available for the right girl. After dinner, they took a walk. And Jeannie noticed how he always tried to keep on her left or right, whichever was nearest to the street. Other men she'd met were never quite so thoughtful. But then Keith wasn't like other men. And Jeannie knew that from the moment she saw him. Jeannie? Yes, Keith? It's been a wonderful evening. Yes. You know, somehow it's been perfect. Nothing has spoiled it. For me. Or for me. Jeannie, may I see you again? You... You really want to? Very much. 
All right. Tomorrow night. Oh, that's kind of soon, isn't it? Too soon for you? No. It's not too soon for me. Then we have a date. Tomorrow night and... I hope for many nights to come. For many nights to come. That sounded wonderful to Jeannie Clare. It sounded like forever. But she didn't know that forever could be a very short time. Jeannie saw him every night for four weeks in a row. They went everywhere together, to interesting places, to museums and art shows, a concert or two. Every once in a while, the theater. Not a moving picture. The theater. The legitimate stage, as Keith put it. <laughs> when you've never been in love before and you meet the perfect man, you don't have to think very hard to find out where you stand. After a while, Jeannie stopped telling herself to be sensible and to wait. She was crazy about him, that was that. And then one day, he got a job. He wanted to celebrate and treat Jeannie to something special. They had dinner and danced a lot, then took the subway home. Jeannie, I've got something to tell you. Really, Keith? First of all, let me say that you're the nicest girl I ever met in my life. Keith. And... You understand me more than anyone else I've ever known. Jeannie, I haven't let our relationship get too personal up to now because... Well, somehow I felt I didn't have a right to. You shouldn't have felt like that. Oh, well. It was mostly money, I guess. I, uh, I didn't have very much saved up. If an actor never knows when he's going to get another job. But you've got one now. Yeah. Oh, Jeannie, it's a wonderful party. You know, if this play clicks... Well, when and if that happens, Jeannie, I'll have something more to tell you. You couldn't tell me now? Uh, no, not just yet. But if you want to, you can guess and you'll probably be right. I think I know, Keith. I'm very glad. You know, sometimes I think I'm a very lucky girl, Keith. Why? Well, things happen if you wait for them long enough, and, and the things that happen are usually nice. Not like that poor kid or whoever she was. What poor kid? See the figure that man is reading across the aisle. Oh, yeah? Look what that headline says. Young girl slain by maniac. Isn't it awful? Horrible. Maybe it's selfish of me to say so. But I'm sure that things like that only happen to other people. And I only have to read about them in the papers. I'm sure glad only nice things happen to me. When Keith said goodnight at the door, he bent down and kissed Jeannie's hand. And Jeannie seemed to know even before he did it that that was just the thing he'd do. When she got inside her room, she was much too excited to sleep. So she tried to read a while, and she opened the paper Keith had bought her. and left the subway. Then Jeannie saw that headline again. It gave a full description of the murder and where the victim was found. The girl was 24 and pretty. She'd been keeping company with an unknown man, and a description by one of the neighbors tallied with a description of a maniac who killed another girl a week before. 
The description followed, and Janie read it aloud to herself. Five feet ten, nice looking. Dressed in perfect taste. He flatters the girls he meets with his continental manners. And his voice is raw and soft. He, he's never seen without a derby hat. His gloves are always new. By profession, he claims to be an actor. You know, there are people in the world who never grow old, even though they live to be a hundred years old. Somehow they shoulder their cares very lightly, and their minds remained young and strong. Jeannie Clare's mind was young and it was strong, but she grew up far beyond her years when she read that paper. She just sat there and shook her pretty head in a funny sort of a way. You could see she didn't want to believe what she read. She was trying to convince herself it was only a coincidence. Well, Jeannie, perhaps it is. There are many men who could answer that description, and lots of them could be actors. Only this particular man is the man you love. Remember that. But suddenly, Jeannie noticed another fact. The man they were after had come from Chicago. They traced him to New York from there. Well, that was different. Hadn't Keith told her his folks lived in St. Louis? Of course he had. At least twice. Jeannie laughed in relief. <laughs> the man fell asleep on the couch from sheer nervous exhaustion. The next evening, as she and Keith walked up the street after dinner, Jeannie was ashamed of herself for ever having the thoughts she'd had. He was so tall and straight in his well-kept clothes, and she felt proud just to be walking by his side. Somehow he was even nicer than he'd ever been before. And he started to tell her about the play he was in. The melodrama, Jeannie. A what? You know, play about crime. Oh. <laughs> Not the usual one, though. Well, I think it ought to be a hit. I hope so, Keith. <laughs> you know, I guess ordinarily I wouldn't have taken a part like that. Ah, oh, you know the way I am, Jeannie. I worship Shakespeare. I'd rather... Well, I'd rather carry a sword in Hamlet than have a lead in any comedy in town. But, uh... I don't know. This part should give me the foothold I need. And, well, at least I'll start to make enough money to plan for the future. You mean you took this part just for me, Keith? Uh, let's say I took it for both of us, and we'll let it go at that, huh? Hey, would you like to see a rehearsal one day? Oh, I sure would. <laughs> you won't let it scare you, I hope. Scare me? Well, the play is pretty violent. Like, it's quite a shock. You see, it involves a homicidal maniac, a man who likes to kill for pleasure. Huh? It's got... You dropped your purse. Hey, Jeannie, you've broken your mirror. Keith? Yes, Jeannie? Someday I... I'd like to meet your folks. Someday you shall, Jean. I I know St. Louis is a long way off, but... St. Louis? Oh, they don't live there anymore. But, but you told me. Oh, they were born there. Oh, yeah. But a couple of years ago, they moved, Jeannie. They did? To where? Chicago. Chicago. It couldn't have been Los Angeles or Salt Lake City. It had to be Chicago. And Jeannie almost felt she was going to be sick. She managed to keep herself composed until they said goodnight, though. Keith was due at rehearsal at eight, so he didn't take her home. And Jeannie was never so glad to get back to her room in her life. She sat down near the radio and tried to catch her breath. Her head was pounding and she could hardly think. She kept saying over and over to herself, Is Keith the man they want? She couldn't turn him in unless she was sure. And how could she be sure? Then she turned the radio on. She didn't know exactly why. She was frightened, lonesome, miserable... She wanted to hear a voice, any voice, someone who'd talk to her so she'd know she wasn't alone. She heard a voice all right, and the words burned holes in her heart. And the United Nations will discuss the matter during the next session. New York. The police have unearthed new evidence concerning a homicidal maniac who has gone and claimed three victims thus far. The apparently was able to hoodwink his unhappy victims into believing he'd fallen in love with them. A 
you apprehend the killer before he has a chance to add another victim to his list. Operator, get me the police department. She gave him her name and told him where he worked. He'd be at the theater now, she said, in rehearsal. They promised to send a squad car and a detective over to her place in 15 minutes for her protection. 15 minutes. That wasn't long by the usual standards. But as Jeannie hung up, she began to experience the most harrowing 15 minutes of her life. Decided to come instead and just talk to you. But what about rehearsal, please? Oh, that. Well, I rehearsed for ten minutes and I left the theater. But don't worry, I, I promise I'll be back in an hour or two. Anyway, I'm I'm not in the second act yet. Jeannie, <laughs> what's the matter? Why do you keep? Moving away from me like that. I hadn't seen moving away. What's happened? Why do you stare at me at it? Almost as though you're afraid. I, I wish you'd leave me alone for a while. Just a little while, please. I, Jeannie, I, you've got to tell me what's wrong. Has it been because... Because I haven't asked you to marry me yet? No, not that. Jeannie. Come here. Jeannie had moved to the other end of the room and her back was against the wall. Fifteen minutes, they told her. It would take a detective fifteen minutes to arrive, but fifteen minutes might be too late. Keith kept coming closer, smiling, talking, his hands and arms stretched out. Then she saw a bulge in his right-hand coat pocket. He knew it was a gun. Jeannie, darling, what's the matter? You mustn't be afraid of me. His hands were on her shoulders now and he was pulling her close. For a moment she could hardly breathe. And then she let him kiss her. She had to because she wanted to get hold of that gun. Oh, Jeannie. Inch by inch, her hand crept toward his pocket. And then inside, she felt the trigger and then the handle. With all the strength she had left, she pulled it out and fired. stood there and looked at him. The words just didn't sink in. And then she started to laugh. She laughed and she couldn't control herself. She laughed until she cried. For it was then that Jeannie realized that she had killed the wrong man. Hey, miss. Hey, miss, hang on to yourself. Sorry, Sergeant. That optimist have thought that I was the one who Oh, it's crazy when he brought me here. Uh, well, now we'll see when he gets back. Just 
Relax. Take it easy. Yeah. What? Did you say something, Sergeant? <laughs> I didn't. Uh, look behind you. Yeah. Here's your cop, Sarge. Only ain't so stiff. Walked down here by herself. And there's the rod. Filled with blanks. Can you beat it? Huh? It's just a prop we use in the play. I guess I forgot to leave it at the theater tonight when I left the rehearsal. When you fired it, Jeannie, I... Must have got such a shock I passed out. I... I can't believe it. It's all right, Jeannie. It's all right. I know what happened. It's all right now. Come on, Jeannie. I'll take you home. story of Jeannie Clare is recorded by the clock. Well, I see we've used up our allotted span, for the clock keeps running, and the hands keep moving around. So good people accept each minute with gratitude and with joy. Time is good to most of you, and most of you make good use of time. But remember, it's later than you think, so use your time well this week. And return again to listen to the clock. The clock will be heard again next week, same time, same station. This program is written by Lawrence Clee, and you heard Hart McGuire as the clock. And as Jeannie, Wendy Playfair. As Keith, John Million. Others in the cast were Joan Lander, Derek Barnes, and Joe McCormick. The clock is directed by John Saul, a Grace Gibson radio production. Sunrise and sunset, promise and fulfillment, birth and death. The whole drama of life is written in the sands of time. We present a new series of radio programs, The Clock. Nice to see you again. Pleasant to be back. Got a little time to spare, 30 minutes maybe, by the clock. Anything about time, to some it's priceless, to others it has no value. It's the most perishable commodity in the world, and yet it lasts forever. If we lose it, we're unhappy, but we don't mind giving it away. For instance, there was young Joey. Have you ever heard of Joey Harper? Well, perhaps you haven't. He's a likable young fellow, though, alert, ambitious, and cheerful. Well, usually cheerful anyway. For even the best of dispositions can often change. I'd like to tell you about Joey. Will you listen? It might be worth your while. It's so amazing you may not believe it, although it could have happened to you. Oh, listen, Lois, listen. You gotta listen. It wasn't my fault. Oh, gee, honey. I love you. I wouldn't hurt you, Lois, for all the money in the world. All the money in the world. 
Joey used those words before, but in a different way. Joey felt that money made the clock go round, and that everyone had it but him. Joey? Yeah? What are you thinking about? Your old lady. What? I, I mean your mother. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry about what she said, Joey. Oh, it's not your fault. Maybe I'll never have any more doll than I got right now. Maybe she's right. I'm just a bust. Oh, don't say that, Joey. You've got to give yourself a little time. Time? How much time do you think I got? I'm 22, Lois. Practically middle age. I'll be tripping over my beard before I get a nickel in the bank. Maybe it's your job, Joey. Oh, no, no. It's not my job, Lois. I've done everything from selling insurance to driving a hack. But I always make the same amount. Thirty-five bucks a week. <gasps> You can't expect to be successful overnight. Other guys can do it. Why can't I? You know, it's like a jinx. I work like a dog. I, I yell for a raise. I, I stick my nose to the grindstone until it hurts. But it always comes out the exact same way, Lois. Thirty-five smackers a week. Everybody can't be rich, I guess. Everybody can't have a million dollars. I wish I was so rich that a million was just like chicken feet. I, I wish I had all the money in the world. Joey? Yeah? Look at this window display. Oh, isn't that a lovely ring? I'll say it is. Which one are you looking at? The one with all those diamonds. That's not the one I mean, silly. I'm talking about the gold one. The plain one over there. The, the wedding ring. Oh. I guess it isn't really very expensive, is it? Well, who cares? We're not going to buy it. Joey! Oh, let's face it, Lois. You know your mother won't let you get married to me. She thinks I'm a lamb and she wants to settle with cash. We just have to be patient. Barry Cannon's the guy for her. He's all man's got dough. He'll own the business one of these days and he'll be in solid. Me? I'm just a jerk. Joey, please don't spoil the evening by talking that way. Barry's the perfect son-in-law. He's got dough in his pocket and a new suit in his back. Even the fillings in his teeth are made of gold. And someday I'm going to knock him out one by one just to prove my point. Joey, if you dare get into a fistfight with Barry Cannon, I... Why, there he is. That's Barry in that car. Hi there, sweetie. Hello, Barry. How goes it, Joe? Pretty good. Until you got here. <laughs> How do you like the bus? Why, it's new, Barry. Yeah, it's to be back 1500 It's got style. Oh, I think it's lovely. Don't you, Joey? It reminds me of a hearse. Joey! Still sore at the world, Joey? Why don't you take that over-polished kitty car and go right home? Joey, I wish you wouldn't be so rude. Oh, that's all right, Lois. I don't bruise easily. Come to my party on Friday night? Well... We're dressing, you know. It's formal. Well, we're not going, Barry. Well, if you're worried about the clothes, I can lend you my dinner jacket. I'm wearing tails. You'd certainly look good with tails, Barry. Hanging from a tree. Joey! <laughs> all right, all right. If this guy appeals to you so much, Lois, I'll bow out. I'm sick and tired of hearing him talk about himself. And I'm sick and tired of hearing your family talk about me. Hey, hey, what is this? Lover's quarrel? Barry, you driving uptown? Sure. Would you drop me at my home? Hop in. When you're ready to apologize, Joey Harper, you can let me know. Joey just stood there and watched Lois drive away. And he felt she didn't understand. The tragedies of youth can be painful things, mellowed only by time alone. If he could only have explained to Lois. 
If you could have only told her you you don't know what it means, Lois, when a when a guy can't afford to buy his girl an engagement ring. When I take you to the movies, we always sit in the cheapest seats. <sighs> After a while, Lois, it gets so you begin to think that money's the most important thing on earth. And you can't live without it. Sometimes you even feel you don't want to live without it. Yes, if Joey could have told her that, this story might have been different. But he didn't. He had too much pride. So he merely watched the girl he loved drive away with another boy. Then he turned and walked slowly home. But every once in a while, he'd pause in front of a shop window and look hungrily inside. Beautiful, aren't they? What? Those airman wraps. Huh. Oh, yeah, they cost a lot of dough. In the next shop, they have a cigarette case made of solid gold. You know, it'd take me a week to make enough money to even buy the boxes they come in. That money won't bring you happiness. That line was invented for laugh by the guys who got it. Really? And the laugh is on guys like me. Uh, you're wrong, my boy. Who says so? Who are you, anyway? I beg your pardon. I didn't mean to intrude. He was a little old man in a worn felt hat. And to Joey, he seemed as old as... <laughs> time. He seemed to shuffle as he walked, as if his balance was bad, and Joey saw him start to cross the street. The light suddenly changed, and the heavy surge of traffic made the old man panicky. He started to run without looking around. And the driver in the bus turned the corner and didn't see him. And then Joey Harper bounded forward and made a flying dive. The two of them rolled over to the curb. Here. Hey, 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 what happened? You almost got killed, that's what. Here. Let me help you up. Hey, thank you. That bus, I didn't see that bus. Look, mister. In New York, you watch where you go when you cross the street. Those ten-ton buses can make a permanent crease in your future. Yes, I guess I'm not used to all this traffic, but... You saved my life, young man. Ah, uh, forget it. No, 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 young man. You saved my life. Not that it's worth very much to me. But I have a great capacity for gratitude. Well, I, I guess you and I are in the same boat, Pop, when you say your life isn't worth very much. But I'm old, and I have no one who cares. But you're young and strong. Why do you feel the way you do? It's simple, Pop. I'm broke. You mean, haven't got a job? Well, I got a job. I can always get a job. But what good does it do? I'll never make enough to live the way I like. How would you like to live? You ever read The Count of Monte Cristo? Yes. Well, that's the kind of dough I'd like to have. Not a thousand bucks or even a million. I'd like to have so much money there'd be no end to it. I'd like to wrap up the world in cellophane and stick it in my pocket like a pack of cigarettes. Yes, but money isn't everything. <laughs> it's enough for me. You see, I have the kind of money that you talk about. Unlimited quantities to do with as I please. I am the richest man who ever lived. But it doesn't make me happy. Pop, you... You didn't crack your head on that curb, did you? You, you, you feel okay? Where do you live, young man? 87 Metal Street. Why? What's your name? Joey Harper. My name is Pickering, and I'm going to reward you for saving my life. <laughs> you better keep your money, mister. You look like you need as much as me. I said I'm going to reward you, Joey. And I mean it. Yeah? I'm going to give you all the money in the world. 
Joey watched the old gentleman shuffle away, and in spite of his depression, Joey smiled. All the money in the world. Joey doubted if the old man had anything more valuable to give away than his time. But Joey didn't know how valuable the old man's time could be. A few minutes later, Joey reached his furnished room. He made a big decision. He was going away for good. He'd forgotten all about Mr. Pickering by the time he'd packed his bag. But when he opened the door to go, the old man was standing there with an envelope in his hand. Good evening. Oh. Hello, Mr. Pickering. Are you going somewhere? I'm getting out of this town. For keeps. I'm through bucking the system. I know when I'm licked. Do you have a minute to spare? Sure. Come in. Thanks. So this is where you live. Yeah. Classy, isn't it? You prefer more elaborate quarters? And I'm going to get it, too. Tomorrow night, I'll probably sleep in the park, and now I'll have plenty of room to move around. <laughs> I'd suggest a four-story brownstone mansion. I believe there's one available right now. Of course, you'd have to arrange for a staff of servants, but <laughs> that could be managed, too. What are you trying to do? Give me a ride? You can give it to me, Joey, when you get your limousine. Well, right now, I'm using the stuff. Joey! Come back, Joey. Would you mind leaving me alone? Come back, Joey. And open this envelope. It may change your mind about many things. What's in that envelope? When you open it, you'll see. But before you do, remember this is only a trickle. It's a drop in the bucket. There's more where that came from, lots more, and I promise you I'll keep you well supplied. You must be nuts. I have no more use for what you'll find in that envelope, Joe. I've achieved my goal, you see. I only hope it'll help you to achieve your own. Good. Open it, Joe. Hey, hey, it's money. A half a million dollars in thousand dollar bills. It's yours, Joey. It's all yours. Have you ever wished upon a star and had that wish fulfilled? It's common among mortal men. Joey knew the meaning of wish fulfillment when he stared at all the money on that table. For five full minutes, and I timed him personally, he didn't move. Five hundred thousand dollars. And Mr. Pickering had said it was only a drop in the bucket. What are you thinking of, Joey? I... I... Are you planning to do a lot with your money, or are you thinking of uh, calling the police? I just can't talk. I... No, no, Joey. I didn't rob a bank or lift a payroll. But where'd you get the money? Are you asking questions, Joey? Are you going to waste time in quibbling? Or are you going out to satisfy every dream and every ambition you've ever had? You're right, Mr. Pickering. I'm just a sap. I, I've been tearing my hair and beating my chest and praying for a break. And then when I get one, I... I'm scared. Scared? What's there to be frightened about? You didn't steal anything. There's everything you've ever wanted on that table, and there's more to come. 
So why bother with questions? Grab it, Joey. Stuff it in your pockets. Go out and spend it. You just watch my feed. <laughs> There's a store downtown, Joey. An expensive establishment that deals in boats. They have a yacht in the sail. And that's the first on the list. I'll stop the expensive stuff and then work away down the scale of the junk. Where's my hat? Oh, never mind. I'll buy a couple dozen of them away down. You? That's a nice club you got down there, mister. Yes, it is, isn't it? And what's it cost? Well, that yacht is our largest model. Ninety feet accommodates 14 people. Its cabins are completely furnished. It requires a crew of six. I ask what it cost. $145,000. F-O-B. I'll take it. You what? I said I'll take it. <laughs> and how will you pay for it? In cash. One hundred and forty-five thousand. Any tax? You, you got that cash in your pocket. One hundred and forty-five thousand on the nose. No tax. The tax is included, sir. Uh, have it shipped to the Hudson River and let me know what pier. Uh, I'll give you my address and you just give me a receipt. And if you're a nice boy, I'll come around and buy another one. When the paint wears off the one I got. You've heard of King Midas? Well, he was a candidate for the poorhouse compared with Joey Harper. You wouldn't believe what he managed to accomplish in the next three hours. You wouldn't believe it unless I gave you my word for it, and I was there with him when it happened. One sixteen solar limousine, I'll pay for it in cash. Yes, sir. One ermine wrap from a gold friend, and I'll pay for it in cash. Yes, sir. Ah, this telco looks nice. I'll take four, and don't forget the shoes, the shirts, the socks, and the suits. I want the most expensive money can buy. Oh, yeah, and throw in those garters over there. You know the ones with the diamond buckles? And stick my initials on everything, brother, just the way I like. <laughs> If you got something to sell, then bring it up. I'll buy anything and everything just as long as it isn't cheap. And I'll pay for it in cash. Yes, sir. Good evening, Joey. Mr. Bickering. I hope you don't mind my waiting here in your room. I was wondering how you made out. Oh, I'm doing fine. I, I just bought that four-story private house. You know the one that faces Fifth Avenue? And I told him to throw in the doorman for luck. How does it feel to have all that money? Oh, it feels like being on a merry-go-round. You, uh... Haven't got tired of it yet? Tired of it? You mean there are people who get tired of money? I was merely asking. Brother, I'll never get tired of it. Well, enjoy yourself, Joey. I, I presume you have everything you want. Just about, except my girl. But when our mother hears about this doll... Oh, yeah, but uh, that reminds me. I, I'm running short. <laughs> I thought you might. Uh, I don't like to be a hog about this, Mr. Pickering, but... You told me it was only a drop in the bucket. Quite so. And half a million isn't nearly enough for what I want to buy. I guessed as much, so I took the liberty of bringing more. You mean inside the suitcase? Yes, Joey. There's ten million dollars in here. Ten million? You think it might last for the rest of the week? However, it I... doesn't matter. There's really no limit to what you can spend. Oh, uh, Joey, the money is mostly in thousand-dollar bills. Oh, I noticed. And just in case you've been having trouble changing bills of that denomination, I've added a few hundred thousand in fives and tens. I hope you don't mind. Ten million dollars. Holy smoke. Enjoy it, Joey. And remember that the bucket hasn't even been touched. What a boat, Joey. And what a car. That's the slickest job I ever saw. Now come around on Sunday, Barry, and I'll have my chauffeur take you for a spin around the park. Oh, 
Oh, Joey, darling, I think it's wonderful. Mother just can't wait until we get married. Well, she'll just have to wait. Tell her to take it easy, and maybe I'll even invite her to the wedding. Two Rembrandts and one Da Vinci. Is there anything else you'd like to buy, sir? Why, why, sure. There, there, there must be something else. There, there must be. Yes, Joey had bought everything he could think of, and he still had millions left. He had all the money in the world, but he didn't have all the time in the world in which to spend it. Then something peculiar started to happen in Joey's mind. The last shopping spree he'd had wasn't half as much fun as the first. There didn't seem to be anything left for him to buy. He had everything a man could ask for, yet somehow he wasn't happy. And he wondered why. Joey. Oh, hello, Mr. Pickering. I said I'd come up and see you again once more. Oh, now, now, look, Mr. Pickering, I don't need any more money. Honest, I don't. Look, I'm having a tough enough time right now spending what you gave me, so will you take it easy for a while, please? What's the matter, Joey? You sound unhappy. You have everything you want, everything you've ever wished for. Isn't that enough? Well, it, it should be. <laughs> but it isn't. I know. I came to that conclusion myself. You see, Joey, you have nothing to look forward to, nothing to work for. When things come as easily as they've come to you, they, they lose their value. They become cheap, Joey, even though they're worth a fortune. Is that what happened to you, Mr. Pickering? Yeah, my fate was even worse. All my life, I'd lived to achieve one goal. And then, when I thought I'd accomplished an artistic triumph, I found that I'd failed. But one day, I'll try again, Joey. Oh, yes, one day, I'll try again. Uh, try, try what? To make the perfect thousand-dollar bill. You mean... You mean you... You made that money you gave me... Yourself? I am a printer, Joey, and for 20 years I've printed nothing but handbills and dinner menus. But I also happen to be a genius, and I was going to prove it. My goal was to make money so perfect in every detail that the right thing would look like a counterfeit. Oh. Oh. You didn't make nothing, though. You didn't. Now, just a minute, Joey. No. Remember this. I didn't make that money to cheat the government. Oh, no. I never spent a cent of it. To me, it was an artistic goal. No more, no less. I am not a counterfeiter, Joey. I am an artist. Here, Joey, what are you doing? I'm calling the police. Don't bother. They're right outside your door. They followed me here. You got me into this, Mr. Pickering. You got me into this. You've got to get me out. Joey, you're getting too excited. I didn't know that, though. It was bad. You gave it to me. You told me it was a reward. And so it was a generous reward. Open up in the name of the Lord. No. No, they aren't going to take me. Stay out. Stay out of you here. You can't escape, Joey. There's nothing you can do. And your time is running short. You and your money. Why'd you keep out of my life? Who wants your money? Who wants it? Who wants it? <laughs> Why, it's the district attorney himself. Five million dollars. He passed five million dollars in counterfeit money. And we'll give him a year in jail for every nickel. No, no, oh, He no. told me his chauffeur would take me for a ride. Huh. Now he'll take a little ride for himself. Keep away from me. Keep away from me, all of you. My mother was right. Joey Harvey, you've disgraced me. Lois, Lois, you got to listen, Lois. I wouldn't hurt you, Lois. Lois, honest, I wouldn't. Five hundred years in jail. In solitary oh. confinement. And I get the girl. Oh. Five hundred years in jail. Hard labor. And I get the girl. Oh, oh, don't touch me, Lois, Lois. You've got to live. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Oh, 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 And that's the story of Joey Harper as recorded by the clock. Well, it worked out pretty well, all things considered. The moral? Well, yes, I suppose there is a moral to this story, but I prefer to leave it up to you. Sleep on it tonight. Give me your answer in the morning. I'll be at your bedside, but I'll make sure to ring before I drop in. And now it's time to leave you once again. It's been very pleasant for me. I hope it's been enjoyable for you. The clock will be heard again next week, same time, same station. This program is written by Lawrence Clee, and you've heard Hart McGuire as the clock, as Joey Rodney Jacobs, as Mr. Pickering Owen Ainley. Others were Carly Neville, John Bonney, Ken Hannah. The clock is directed by John Saul, a Grace Gibson radio production. Well, you little lovelies, what do you think of today's OTRs from the Clock series? Did it capture your heart and mind like it did my own? The first tale in particular really surprised me, and I was taken aback at how kind and passionate the male protagonist was. The ending was a twist that, for once, didn't involve anyone dying or going insane. A somewhat happy ending this time. Whilst the second tale had my heart racing once the poor guy was told his money was all counterfeit, to only then wake up from a coma. I mean, you could tell the old guy was kinda evil, just from the way he was talking to him at the end, but still, I love the spiral into chaos as we think, like the protagonist himself, that their world is crashing all around them. Now I know it's nothing brand new, but again I really enjoyed the acting and the passion in this episode. I'll be doing more of the Clock series in the future for sure. This particular series does require a lot more attention than most, and there isn't as many. So there is a time cost and a limited amount of them, but the detail is present there, and the gaps, the skips, they're all totally worth fixing up. 
I've done this enough times now to really spearhead long processes into shorter ones. And with Patreon supporters supporting the show directly, I've been able to use software to speed track a lot of the harder work. Which takes me to my thank yous. Every episode I thank those that make your listening experience 100 times better. And before we start, a big thank you to Armello for your increased pledge as my Patreon supporter within the White Tea Warlord tier. Don't think I didn't notice, because I do. Thank you so much, mate. Now, a huge thank you to my own night tea titan, Maya. Because day in and day out, your support allows this show to grow. I've been conducting a lot of research and spending time talking to a lot of people on new software and techniques to improve my old-time radio episodes, and it's thanks to your level of support that I can continue to push each episode to perfection. Thank you so much, Maya. And of course, my white tea warlords. I own cows, Lee Bauer and Aramello. As always, you lovelies blow my mind away. To find three gems like yourself, I consider myself lucky as I do for all my supporters, and that I have three supporters helping me cover subscription and hosting costs. All these things add up, so I really, really do appreciate your support. Thank you so much again, mates. And of course, the rocket fuel in this podcast, my old grain forces, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Divided by Zero, Delphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, and Tea Time Drinker One. Thank all of you that love this podcast enough to donate and support me. Every episode that goes up gets that little bit better, and it's all because of you guys and girls. So thanks. If you think you have a couple of dollary dues spare, and wonder if you'd make a difference, every supporter counts, and I make sure of it. I'm passionate about those that are passionate about the show, and I always find a way of saying thank you. So if you do want to support me, visit www.patreon.com forward slash sfgt. And lastly, if you get a chance, visit my iTunes page and leave a rating plus a comment. And the reason why I ask for a comment is so that I can thank you on the radio waves. Like I said, I find ways to thank those that support me. Mates, have a wonderful Monday, and I hope both these tales kickstart your week. Stick with me Wednesday, where I'll be reading Fee Stringer's listener-submitted story, titled Tuku the Crocodile, Part 2. It's going to be great. As always, mates, till next we meet.